So, um, so last week, for those of you who missed out on last week, we had a look at Psalm 3. We're trying to make our way through some psalms that we've just selected. Um, there are just too many of them for us to go through um, all of them. And so we are just selecting some of the prominent ones that, to us that stand out. And so as we looked at Psalm 3 last week, um, we learned that Psalm 3 is a psalm that David wrote. <clears throat> David wrote close to about half of all of the psalms. Um, and he wrote Psalm 3 when he was on the run from his own son, Absalom. Um, as we know, Absalom wanted to avenge the fact that David took no action when his sister was raped by their half-brother. And Psalm 3 showed us how David processed the condition that he was in through all of that, uh, how he was um, working through this in a personal way, and we saw how he came before the Lord and he expressed his fears, he expressed his remorse, all of his emotions seems to have shared with us there, and his acknowledgement through all of that of Yahweh's sovereignty over that difficult situation that he found himself in. Today we're going to look at very possibly the most famous psalm. Um, what do you think that is? Okay, Psalm 23. They shouted the loudest. I had a few other nominations over there. Um, but it's probably Psalm 23. I think we're all kind of familiar with Psalm 23. Now, Psalm 23 was also written around the time that David wrote Psalm 3. So there's a, there are a few similarities that we'll notice as we work through the psalm. Um, but Psalm 23 is, I think, written from a different place, um, a different um, word that, in, in a sense, that David is communicating to the Lord with a different, slightly different emphasis. And it is a focus on this personal, intimate care that Yahweh, God, shows to David. And of course, by extension, to us as well. Now, let me just say, as we work our way through Psalm 23, that there will probably be some things that we talk about that you may have heard before. Um, you may be familiar with some of the things that Psalm 23 communicates, and that's probably because it's, it's one of the best-known psalms. Um, but let me also say that those things that you are familiar with now that you've heard before, in future you're going to hear them again. Um, and I know that even though I've studied through Psalm 23, that in the years that lie ahead for me, I'm going to encounter them again. And that's okay. Um, to me, that is a reminder of the consistency and ever-present, never-changing nature of our God. It also reminds me of how quickly we forget the attributes of God and how important it is that we remind ourselves over and over about these truths so that they become part of who we are. Um, but as we go through it, I pray that God shows you something new this evening. So let's, let's read through Psalm 23. A Psalm of David. And I'm reading from the NIV version. The Lord is my shepherd, 
I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The psalm, as we, as we read through it, we notice that David starts out by making a declaration that God is his shepherd. Now to us, with our, probably with our Western 21st century thinking, this way of describing God may not make much sense to us. But I think it's helpful to remember that um, to someone of the time that David wrote this psalm in, this comparison that he was drawing here in calling God his shepherd held deep meaning to those people. Now this language of God being the shepherd and we being the sheep isn't new to us um, in this portion of Scripture. The metaphor that David uses here that we encounter is one that is actually often used. Um, God himself is pictured as a shepherd. We see that in, in Genesis 49, um, in Isaiah 40, here in this psalm, in Ezekiel 34, and there are others as well. And then there's Jesus who declares himself to be the shepherd of God's people. We see that in um, Matthew chapter 9, in John chapter 10, and, and others. And then God's people, that's us, are consistently referred to as his sheep. And we see that in Psalm 95, in Psalm 100, Isaiah 53, 1 Peter, and those are only but a few of the verses, the texts, that describe God Jesus and us by using this metaphor of shepherd and sheep. Now, in the time that Psalm 23 was written, people were largely agrarian. Um, what that means is they, they, they lived off the land. Um, and they were very dependent on farming for their survival. And so this would have been a metaphor that would have instantly made sense to people when they read this portion of Scripture. In fact, David himself looked after his father's sheep as a boy. Um, and he was out tending his father's sheep, in fact, when Samuel the prophet um, came to anoint him as king. And so, I think the reason that David uses this metaphor of God being the shepherd and us being the sheep is because he so intimately knew what shepherding was all about. From a young boy, 
he used to tend his father's sheep and he needed to care for them in a very particular way which enabled him to write this particular psalm. And so he starts out by saying that the Lord is his shepherd. Now in saying that the Lord is his shepherd, he he points towards a very personal relationship with God. In the light of the fact that sheep stay together in flocks. Now what makes this significant is that God also has a very personal relationship with all of the other sheep. And this is something that always amazes me because God knows all of my personal stuff. You know, all of that stuff that I'm not going to share with you guys. And he knows all of your personal stuff as well. All of those little secrets that we keep deep down inside God knows all about that as well. But I can only have a deeply personal relationship with a small group of people. I don't think it's possible for anyone to have a deeply personal relationship with many people. Um, And we see that perhaps with the lives of celebrities Yet God is able to do that with each one of us. And with all of us as a body at the same time, which is quite striking. And so here David singles out his relationship with the shepherd who knows him personally. And he's able to provide all his needs to the degree that he said he doesn't lack anything. Note that it's needs, not wants. This good shepherd, he then says, is able to make him lie down in green pastures. Now, one of the details um, I think about this psalm that has largely been misunderstood is the notion that when David is describing green pastures here, he's meaning that. Um, So I I googled, he makes me lie down in green pastures, and that's the first page that comes up. And I keep scrolling, and it's just a whole lot of pictures of green grass and sheep and very beautifully positioned um, sheep lying in long grass. Now, quite interestingly, that is not what green pastures looks like in the Judean landscape that David would have known intimately. The green pastures that David is talking about looks like that. Now on the left-hand side there is what um, the area surrounding Jerusalem looks like in the rainy season. They have about two months of rain of the year, and so they have lots of green grass. But for the rest of the year, it looks a lot like this. So when David is speaking about, he makes me to lie down in green pastures, I think we make a mistake with our Western perception of what green pastures look like, because that is the actual reality of what the green pastures that David refers to looks like. 
Now, the breed of sheep that David would have been engaging with as a shepherd boy that is still found in that region of the world is called the Awasi breed of sheep. And unlike our sheep, these sheep, they follow the shepherd rather than being driven from the rear. Now, I don't know if you've seen some of our shepherds in our country The shepherd usually walks behind and he kind of chases the sheep. Um, We see also in other parts of the world where people have sheepdogs who chase the sheep along. Quite interestingly, these sheep follow their shepherd rather than having to be forced from behind. Now in this region that David lived in, there isn't a lot of green farm country. And portions of land able to hold water and where you would be able to plant crops would be land where sheep would be kept out. Farmers wouldn't want sheep coming onto their lands, eating all of their vegetation. And so they would want them out. Maybe after the harvest they could come in and glean for a bit of what's left but definitely not at any time of the, any other time of the year. Sheep would have had to be taken out into what they call the wilderness or midbar, which is that. And those areas outside on the outskirts of the city would have been where David would have been tending for the sheep, for his sheep, and where he would have learned all about what it means to be a good shepherd. And so the green pastures that David speaks of are comprised of mostly rocky, dusty, hillside, semi-desert country with little bits of grass growing here and there. Now if you were to look at, the, at that image there, we see little um, grazing pathways that sheep would walk and make along the hillsides. Now um, a good shepherd would keep track of the conditions of the terrain around in the surrounding region. And he would know where all of the best grazing paths are. And those paths would have been made over generations of shepherds and sheep moving along, grazing those areas. David says, he says, he makes me to lie down. Now apparently getting a sheep to lie down is a major project, um, but a very important part of sheep care. Now sheep don't just lie down when you want them to. Um, And there are actually four things that a shepherd needs to do to get the sheep to lie down for the night. And David actually, he refers to them in this particular psalm. The first thing that a sheep would need enough of is feed. A sheep would need to eat enough or else it will not lie down. Um, And so it takes about eight hours a day of scouring those hillsides to find enough food um, to fill the belly of an Awasi sheep and, um, and so they would feed on the tufts of grass uh, 
that grow amongst and around the rocks there. And it takes a lot of moving around um, to find the grass that they would feed on. And every evening when the shepherd needed to get his sheep to lie down, he would check their belly to see if they had enough to eat. And if a sheep hadn't had enough to eat, they won't lie down. Um, and all through the night, that sheep would be restless and they would be bleating and making a noise and disturbing the other sheep who have had enough. And you as the shepherd wouldn't get any sleep either. So that's the first thing that a good shepherd would need to have his sheep feed enough in the day. And David knew this. The second thing that your sheep needs is water. Now a sheep would, in that part of the world, would need to drink twice a day. And a shepherd would need to know where the watering spots are and when to go. In that picture there, there's a, a Bedouin shepherd in the front. And those are his sheep there. This is a very well-known watering hole in the region. And so there are other shepherds as well who have brought their flocks to this particular spot. Now, if it came to evening and the sheep hadn't um, had enough to drink, a shepherd would notice that the sheep hadn't had enough to drink by its um, dry nose. Um, these shepherds would carry with them a, a wine skin, which is the skin of a, a leather sack um, made up of an old animal skin, and he would carry water in that, and what he would do in the evening is he'd probably um, force his hand into the sheep's um, mouth and he would force water down the sheep's throat. And this way of giving sheep water would only be the last resort if he found that a sheep hadn't had enough to drink for the day. But David then writes, he leads me besides quiet waters. Some versions say still waters. Now, sheep in this part of the, country, of the world are actually apparently very afraid of the sound of running water. Um, and there's an interesting reason behind that. With, these particular, with this particular breed of sheep, the best part of the wool that this sheep produces is the part between the, the front legs that reaches and grows up underneath the chin of the sheep. It's the the softest, most absorbent part of the sheep's coat. Now, these sheep don't have very strong front legs. And um, the sheep know that if they try to drink from a fast-flowing stream and their wool got wet, there's a strong possibility that the weight of the water that their wool has absorbed would make their skinny front legs buckle under the weight and a sheep knows that it might be able to drown in that water. And so a good shepherd would, as these shepherds are doing here, fetch water from the source with a container and bring it across maybe to a hollowed rock and then pour water there for his sheep to drink away from that fast-flowing water, knowing that his sheep needed to be settled and calm. 
That's the second thing. The third thing, quite interestingly, is parasites. Now, you not only want to make sure that they eat enough and that they drink enough, but they also have to be cleansed of their parasites, particularly around the head. An itchy, irritated sheep will not lie down. And these sheep keep their face down all of, this, all of the time, as you could see in that picture earlier on, foraging for food. Their noses are very close to the ground. And in their trying to eat, get enough to eat, um, they pick up ticks and also leeches when they drink from that water up in their noses and in the tear ducts of their eyes and around their ears. And the shepherd, what he would do is he would take the branch from a particular kind of thorn tree. Um, the, the thorn grows in the opposite direction. And he would use that to remove the, the ticks and the leeches and the other parasites from the soft parts of the, of the sheep's head. And then the shepherd would take a linen cloth and he would wipe the head of that particular sheep, the nose and the eyes, and then they would settle down and they would then only be able to lie down. There's a lot of work that the shepherd needs to do. The fourth thing that you have to have in place to make sure that your sheep lie down is a sheep fold. Um, uh, the sheep needs to feel safe at night or it will not lie down. And so a sheep who feels insecure or scared or nervous would stand up on its feet so that it feels it would be able to run away if danger approached. And, um, and so this a feeling of safety and calm is needed to make a sheep lie down. Many times in the, in the Middle East here, um, a sheep fold would comprise of a low stone wall, like this one here. That is what the kraals look like. Um, and if they, and this would take a lot of work to establish, or this kind of sheepfold would be around for many, many years, and shepherds would use that repeatedly over and over. But if they were further out in the wilderness, then they would use limestone caves like this. And there are lots of um, caves like this in, in the Middle East. And what they would do is they would build a little wall along the side there and leave this space open. And the sheep would enter in and out through that narrow little gate area there. Now when the sheep know that nothing is able to come in through that little space there, then they feel safe and they feel secure. But these structures that are made of stone, they don't have a gate um, because there isn't a lot of wood around in this region of the world for them to make these kinds of structures consistently. And to solve the issue of not having a gate, the shepherd will lie in the entrance. He would lie there in this doorway, so to speak. And so the shepherd would be the gate. 
And so when the sheep know that nothing can get past, they feel safe, they feel calm, and they would then be able to lie down and rest. Now, one of the things that strikes me about how David is describing his experience of who God is to him bears striking similarity with how Jesus describes himself. And Jesus himself actually also uses many of the elements that David uses in Psalm 23. And there's about a 1,000-year gap between David and Jesus. And so we notice that sheep need water. Jesus calls himself the living water in John 7 and verse 37. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. But then not only does Jesus give us water, but he promises us in verse 38 that whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, Rivers of living water will flow from within them. And not only will he give us water that we need, but he will also put his spirit in us so that we will never thirst again. And also we then become channels for him to work through. Secondly, sheep need food to lie down. In John 6 and verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. Sheep need to be freed from the irritation of parasites. Jesus says in John, verse, um, John chapter 8 and verse 36, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, I would call the parasites sin. Sin comes and it attaches itself to you. It chews at you. And it makes you feel irritable and sick if you allow it to linger. Sin is only interested in how it can take from you. But then the Savior comes and he removes that sin from us, and we can find rest. You see the shepherd analogy that Jesus even uses there. The importance of lying down when it comes to care for sheep is striking to me. How important it is that you get this animal to lie down at night seems to be a major task and a very big part of the shepherd's day. And how much needs to be in place so that this sheep will rest sounds really tiring to me. But it is the shepherd who takes care of all of those responsibilities and he takes all of that work upon himself so that the sheep can find rest. Sheep need a place to rest when they feel wearied and insecure. And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
And so as we think about that, we see the New Testament um, teachings of Jesus echoing truth from the Old Testament and the Psalms in the New Testament. And so there is this continuation, this unified story about God's care and his love for us. And he is always at work so that we can lie down and find rest. David then describes how the Lord leads him along straight paths. And even though he comes to the valley of death, he needs not fear. Now, when you look at the terrain of the area around Jerusalem, you will notice that it has many hills and many valleys. Um, if you just go on Google Maps and you go to that area, you'll just see a many, many mountain peaks and valleys in that region. Now, you will notice that at certain times of year, it's, it's perhaps more accentuated, but most evenings as the sun is setting, the valley floor becomes very dark. Now, what the shepherd would always be trying to do with his flock as he is grazing them along the hillside, walking through those little pathways that we saw in that image earlier, is that he's trying to keep them up out of the valley because it is in the darkness of the valley that rock falls can be anticipated in this rocky, rocky area. And those rock falls could easily snap the legs of a sheep, but it is also in the darkness of the valley that foxes would be hiding to wait and to attack. And so for a sheep, the dark valley is a place to be avoided. And David uses this metaphor to describe the danger that he is facing, the place that he finds himself, the darkness that he faced in that moment. And for us, I think the darkest valley is a metaphorical representation of the dark and the difficult times that all of us face in our lives. It is a reminder to us that even in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of the challenges that we face in our lives, in the times of loneliness, in the times of fear, that God is with us and he promises us that he will comfort us. Now, if it came to a point when a shepherd had to cross over in a dark valley, what he would do is he would position himself in the middle of his flock. And what he would do is he would constantly be talking or sometimes even sing so that the sheep would know that he is there. And so they would recognize his voice and his voice to them would be a comforting voice. Now as Christians, as believers, as followers of Christ, we can take comfort in the fact that we are never alone. That in the way that um, Jesus knows 
our most intimate and deepest secrets. He never leaves us, even in our darkest moments. And so the dark valley that David speaks about here in Psalm 23 can be a powerful reminder to us of God's presence and his love and that he is a source of hope and comfort for everyone who follows him. David speaks about the rod and the staff. All shepherds in this part of the world would walk with a rod and a staff. Not often would the staff be one that has a little crook on the end, um, like the one that little Bo Peep has. Um, but they would always have a staff. They would always be seen with a stick in their hands. Now, if you went there today, and you still find shepherds around the city of Jerusalem, um, many of them Palestinians or Bedouins looking after their sheep, many of them would still be walking around with a staff like that. But David speaks here about a rod and a staff. Now, the rod would be a short stick, probably about a meter long. It would probably be made of, of a heavier kind of wood. It would be a kind of stick that a, sheep, that a shepherd would use all his life. And what he would do if a, if a, um, if a fox or a wild animal approached his, um, he'd take the stick that would have a little leather strap on the end and he'd swing it around and he'd throw it at the legs of this animal that was attacking and it would drive the animal away. He would run away. And um, the good shepherd is the one who stands in defense of his sheep, not only leading them and guiding them and sorting them out with his staff, but also protecting them. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And that's what makes me able to go through the valley of death, or shadow of death. Now, as the psalm is being drawn to a close here, David says that God prepares a table before him in the presence of his enemies. Now, in this part of the world, um, you don't sit down and eat with somebody unless you know them and you have a relationship with them. You don't sit down and eat with people who you don't know. Now, not too long ago, we did this series called Meals with Jesus. And in that series, we talked about this fact, this idea that relationship, particularly in the time of the Bible, was symbolized by the fact that you would sit down and share a meal with someone. To eat with somebody is a symbol that you love them, that you forgive them, and that you have a relationship with them. And so David, in a sense here, seems to be pointing to a reconciliation between himself and those who are after him. And it's a reconciliation that is brought about by God. And such a reconciliation would bring great joy and relief to him, And so he makes mention of that here in Psalm 23. This is our final point. He says, 
You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now in this part of the Middle East, if you have like a, a fairer complexion, like many of you guys do, and you spent the entire day out in the sun, you may get what is called a, a summer fever. And sheep are also apparently susceptible to summer fevers. You will notice underneath, in the lower parts of the sheep's body, their skin is very fair. It's very light. And so sheep are also susceptible to a, a summer fever. And a summer fever would mean that the sheep may get an unusually high temperature, possibly with a headache. I don't know if a sheep would say it has a headache. Um, and just a general feeling of being unwell. And a good shepherd would be able to identify a sheep that is not well. And of course, a sheep who feels that way won't lie down. Now, if a sheep was suspected of having this summer fever, the shepherd would take a, a horn, or in the modern times now, probably a little jar with oil, and he'd keep a plate beneath it, or a saucer, and he would bring their sheep, bring his sheep into the sheepfold, and he'd check their bellies if they had had enough to, to feed, and he'd check their noses to make sure that they'd had enough to drink. And um, then if he found that a sheep maybe felt a little bit unwell to him, he would take this oil, as you can see there in the image, and he would pour it on the sheep's head. And he would catch whatever runs down off of the sheep's head in the saucer. And then what he would do is he would massage the sheep's head after having anointed its head with oil. Now there is no evidence that this actually takes away the fever that the sheep is experiencing. But what it does do is it seems to comfort and calm the sheep. It's as though the sheep knows that the shepherd cares. And once the sheep has received this kind of attention, having been anointed and cared for, it then lies down and sleeps for the night. The care and the love of the Father made David say, Surely, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. <laughs>